Yeah, welcome to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit, the podcast where we dissect who framed Roger Rabbit one minute at a time with special guest Gamo Martinez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. Uh, I am Annie McMullen, and as always, uh, we have Chris Blair. Hello. And we have a very special guest today, Guillermo Martinez, who is a director with Sony Animation. Uh, You may remember him as our very first guest. And he is also earning today the coveted honor of being our very first return guest. So, you know, iconic, really. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, no, it's it's a huge honor. Uh, I'm so excited that like I beat a bunch of other people to be the returning one. Uh, it's a you guys told me it was like a very long process and people fighting for it and the vetting process is rigorous <laughs> and you sir uh, are the only person who's passed twice. Well, thank you, thank you. I am super honored to be back to analyze this beautiful film. I'll try not to be as gloomy and bleak as I was in the first couple of episodes. <laughs> I mean. Those first minutes are very gloomy and bleak. It seems appropriate. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> this is a, it's a dark movie. You know, it's a film, film noir. I think it's appropriate. And 2022 is dark and bleak so far. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, if it, I never thought that, like, oh, yeah, like, who framed Roger Rabbit is 2022 in a film. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have a better point than I think even you thought when you said it, (laughs) when I think about it. (laughs) Do you think this is one of those movies where like, okay, it says it takes place in 1947, but really it takes place in the far future in this post-apocalyptic world? I think so. I I mean, I personally think it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, I've been thinking a lot about like films, sci-fi films and like, and in history in general, like, you know, how now the 90s is like a fad, you know, like, in, but in the 90s, like the 70s, like people were wearing bell bottoms and stuff like that. So like, it's almost like her, the movie, the Joaquin Phoenix movie, where like everyone's wearing like weird, like 1940s button down shirts and it's supposed to be the future. So I can totally buy that, like in the future, we're driving those old cars, we're dressing up, but like the trench coat and the hat and, you know, uh and we are yes sharing this planet with like glowing beings that used to you know maybe those maybe what we don't know is that those are aliens that like saw animated cartoons that were like oh this is a documentary about what humanity is and they just like <laughs> and they just into it once I'm again analyzing this more than robert Zemeckis did so. no, once again I think that uh, you should dedicate your entire career to reinterpreting this movie in other styles. And this is like, it's moved to top of my list. Well, you know, I think, yeah. last time we had the dark prequel by Guillermo del Toro directed by Guillermo del Toro. And this time, I think, you know, the futuristic, you know, alien invasion version, we should do it. Yeah, be on the lookout for like I'll definitely like open my new, a Vimeo account and make a video <laughs> episode. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah. We are all the way to minute 16. Uh how far we've come since the last time you've been on. 
Minute 16 begins with the wide shot of dueling pianos, and it ends in the middle of Eddie making a threat. We finally get to see who these people are, who these tunes are, I should say, playing piano when Eddie starts to get closer. I think that for me was like, as a kid, was the number one scene in the movie that I kind of rewatched and rewinded the movie over again, because I still couldn't believe like uh, this show, this goes to show you how obsessed with cartoons I was. I was like, "What in the fuck is happening? What is one character from one company with another character from another company? They have broken the forbidden door. What is going? Like, I lost my mind, and I would try to tell my mom, and she was like, "I don't understand. Like, you know, yeah, I don't get it." So I was by myself, like being like, "This is amazing," and so I just like. I went, and I was obsessed with it. And it was a specific, also a specific Daffy, which was like the wacky Daffy. I don't know if you guys remember that, like, yeah, Daffy, which was like, I don't know what happened that made it like, it's like, oh yeah, we should make him more like sarcastic and, you know, cynical. <laughs> but like, it, it was like, it was like the crazy. He just got older. Gear. Yeah. It happens yeah, to all yeah, of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have some Daffy facts here that answers that a little bit. Daffy in the very first cartoon, Daffy cartoon was... Porky's Duck Hunt, where Porky Pig is hunting Daffy Duck. And Daffy Duck is much more like a real duck in that. And he just is completely has lost his mind in that cartoon. And over time, they just stylistically decided to make him more of a main character. And as they made him more of a main character, they made him a little more grounded. So this this point is kind of the halfway point between completely wacky Daffy and more of the Daffy that we have today. That's interesting, huh? That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I mean, I like both of them. I think they're both great. Also like, you know, I also wonder like how difficult it must have been to have like, I'm just thinking about, the, I, I saw behind the scenes of this particular scene and like, and how like, you know, how they had almost everything had to be wires. Like for example, I, and I know I'm going back to it and I shouldn't, uh, uh, like the octopus bartender, like the fact that it was just like wires holding drinks and stuff like that and how they did it with the, with the piano. Like I bet someone must have said like this, is this the easiest way to make a movie? You know, like it, it was just like, I bet that was like the scene. Oh, actually correction. I heard that was the scene where everyone was like, oh my fucking God, this is too hard. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine how hard that is. Like that out of all the creatures they could choose to be a bartender, the octopus seems like the most difficult choice. Well, that looks this sounds like a writer's like like a, you know how these Hollywood writers who are like have no don't care about the animator's life. They're like, oh, it should be like it should have like be an octopus and have multiple hands and just go nuts. And it's like the animator's going like, oh my god, we have to animate that. You know, like. <laughs> that's the world of animation it's like a live action writer going like let's have this giant two billion dollar scene and they can animate it that's fine if they have families and they don't see them um but yeah no question i wanted to ask you oh sorry no no go ahead i was gonna ask you both like uh chris and uh, any uh team daffy or team donald oh i'm i'm team donald all the way and why why you know, I always just really love Donald. I think they're both great. They might be, I think, the funniest cartoons of both their respected brands. There, there's just something about ducks that make it work, but there's just something about the way 
Donald is, the way he speaks, the way he wears his emotions so much on his sleeve that I cannot not be behind Donald. I think that's the emotionally healthy choice. Uh, I think I'm going team Daffy because um, I'm attracted to broken men. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love Daffy so much. He because- is deranged. Yeah, he's just like insanely deranged and like everything bad happens to him. Like everything, you know, like, you know, and it's such an interesting character. And, you know, I love that, like the, the, the transition him to like a more like life sucks and I'm here trying to enjoy my life. And then this rabbit over here is saying that it's duck season. And it's clearly, <laughs> it's clearly rabbit season. You know, I, I just don't want to die. <laughs> Which is funny because like they say, like, I don't want to die, but like Elmer Fudd is always shooting at them, and he never dies. He just, his beak just goes like to a different like. like <laughs> I'm like, I think this get hunted. We have talked a little bit about the mortality of tunes. I think pretty consistently, right? Like we we know that you could do a lot of them because we opened the movie with you know them repeatedly dropping stuff on uh, Roger's yeah. head, right? And then like, ah, you can do whatever you want. Um, so you know we know that. Dip can kill them. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Uh, Dip can kill them. But otherwise, nothing else really seems to to phase them. It's a really interesting sort of like um, juxtaposition that they're terrified of dying. <laughs> like, yeah, why? You know, um, I think in any other like m- story where there is someone's like essentially immortal right or like like basically they can live forever even if they die if they get in an accident or whatever people get kind of like bored and they're they're fearless right so the fact that tunes have maintained their like a similar level of fear to a human um, of their own mortality even though they are kind of immortal is really fascinating oh no It's, it's 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 fantastic and it's Actually, it made me think of like, you know, before dip, like, like if there was ideas of like, it shouldn't it be like a giant contraption with a giant eraser. Like, <laughs> well, we have seen Daffy gun erased before and he was able to oh, yeah. be recreated. But the question, maybe that's not the same Daffy, perhaps. Perhaps every time Daffy is drawn and this is why he keeps becoming, he changes personality is maybe every time Daffy is redrawn, he becomes a little bit of a different person. that is so tragic (laughs) oh my god (laughs) it's like um what was that movie where uh michael keaton just played a weird clone oh uh, multiplicity multiplicity. yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh is it like that is that daffy's journey (laughs) some might say it's even closer to like you know like the spider-man movie like the like the the way it's like they erase him in a different daffy from a different uh universe comes in oh it's like it's a multiverse daffy it's like uh, a multiverse i would watch the hell out of a multiverse <laughs> oh absolutely add it to your list add it to your vimeo account it's like there's one daffy that actually got to succeed in getting bugs bunny killed and he's like you know what i actually miss him you know <laughs> I, I, I wish i could go back and have elmer shoot me instead yeah i wish it was duck season season. That's the name of the show. Uh, it's like Daffy Duck colon Duck season. You know. <laughs> okay, so, so can we just can we talk about the vibe or like the general energy in this establishment for a second? Yeah, because 
because it's weird. Um, the ratio of men to women is disturbing. I want to know if there's like a reason. That's like the first. So watching this like this way, right? Obviously, I've seen the movie a lot of times, but watching it, it for the intention of discussing it, you like take different things in, right? Yeah. Um, my initial like sort of emotional reaction to this scene was like, this place is weird. And I kind of couldn't figure out why. And then I realized like, hey, I'm a woman. And anytime I walk into a room where it's like 90% men, I'm immediately like, this is the least safe place on earth for me. Yeah. And I have this like spidey sense of like, what this, the vibes are wrong. What's going on? Um, it took me a minute to figure out, but like there are women in here, but they very much feel like accessories um, oh. in this place. It's got kind of like a, like a puritanical strip club vibe in there. 100%. They're just anyone else getting that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did you see last night in Zoho by any chance? No, not yet. Okay, there's a, I won't spoil it, but there's a scene where there's like a vibe where you go into that bar and you're like, guy, 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 guy. Huh. And you already feel like very like uncomfortable. And it's funny because you say that and I'm spoiling. It all comes exploding when Jessica shows up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I get it. Now, like, it, it is one of those, yeah, it is true. Like, the women just feel like accessories. And then you have Betty Boo that just shows up and like, you know, it's like, ah, yeah, I'm just working here, Eddie. You know, like she's just like, you know, just selling cigarettes. Yeah, it, I never thought about it that it was like so comfortable, but it is obscenely uncomfortable now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's tense, right? Like you can feel, and the, the energy of like, there's two men near the front of the stage, right? And they're watching two car, two pantsless cartoon ducks, you know, beat each other up and play the piano. And they've got like, you could you could cut them out and just like paste them into like a dog fight or, uh, or a strip club or a donkey show. And like, they would fit in exactly fine. Yeah. Like they are not matching the energy of like what's happening on stage. Yeah, Is also one of them says, check this out. When it's been clear that Donald and Daffy have been on this stage for a long time and they're just noticing them. Yeah, and they're and right next to the stage. Look at that. Like, you just like, had to say, look at that. Yeah. You know? like, do you need to say, look at that? He's like, look at that. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, how did you not notice this for the past, like, five minutes? The, the song they're playing is called uh, The Second Hungarian Rhapsody by Franz Liszt, uh, which is a long song. So Donald and Daffy have been on stage a significant period of time. Yeah, but I feel that that guy in particular, like he was like the guy that just started to hang out with that group. And, and he was like, I haven't said anything to the group in a long time. <laughs> Everyone's laughing. Everyone's enjoying it. I have to say something. What's going to be my contribution? And then he just goes, just think of anything. One, two, three. Look at that. <laughs> they're like, yeah. Yeah, Johns. Yeah, we, we see it. We can see I it. love yeah. I love Guillermo's like director's take. It's like he can like anybody who walks in and is like, Guillermo, what's my motivation? He's like, I got you. This is why you're doing this. Listen, I know you have a bit part, but like, I've got you. It's like, there, I'll be like, I just wore a t-shirt that says there are no bit parts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only big, big, small parts. Now I'm curious what this guy is doing in the rest of the movie. Like when he finds out that that Roger Rabbit is wanted for murder, I like his reaction must be, huh look at that guys <laughs> yeah he's just like in the office with a newspaper and they're like how do i enter how do, how do i get into the conversation whoa 
bitcher. You know, like, there's ways of saying it. Like you could have said, like, holy shit, like the Roger Rabbit is wanted for murder, but it's no like it's like picture. Guys, fish, are we going far again? <laughs> they find out Roger Rabbit is cleared and he's like, Rabbit! Rabbit! <laughs> Rabbit, yay. Uh, law, boo. Sorry, guys. I'm it is, gonna... you know what? It is weird. Like, on a serious note, it is a weird line for this movie in particular because, like, you know, we've been going through this second by second and everything is done so intentionally. Yeah. Like, why? What is the intention of that? My thought, my thought is, is the, the, I've seen it in many movies, is the extra who is like, this is my moment. <laughs> you know, it's like, like the agent is telling him like, this is your moment, go for it. He's like, well, I have this idea of just saying like, oh, look at that. And they're like, yes, go with that, you know. And Robert Zemeckis just couldn't cut it. And they're like, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> this is the only take we've got of the camera panning over to that. We got to use this. Well, it looks like a very complicated like shot so in my, in my mind now he i bet robert was like in the editing room going like this fucking tool whatever it's just whatever just do you think like this was the best line this guy could come up with like <laughs> he he probably went through like improv improv syndrome where like after it he was like oh it should have been this <laughs> he could have said two ducks yeah if he could have said two ducks maybe he was driving home and he was like this is wacky oh my god this is wacky that's what it should have been the bar also is upsetting to me um primarily just the glassware situation we only have um like sort of brandy snifter type goblets and martini glasses which are like the two worst kind of glasses if you're a bartender or a surfer (laughs) or a drinker of beverages. Um, uh, And then they're also only stacked one deep. So you literally have to be that particular octopus to be able to reach them because they go like a hundred feet across the bar. Like I've seen octopi before and they generally don't have tentacles that are like 27 feet long like this dude does chris i assume you know who this guy is just i do know who, exactly who this octopus is grin, i'm like oh my god okay i'll wait for the finish and then i'm gonna blow their minds <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got some uh good octopus facts this is not an original character he is from the mgm cartoon half pint pygmy yeah oh. yeah so that's that <laughs> and created by tex avery He has a maybe less than 30 second role in that cartoon. He's asked uh, which way they they saw the pygmy go and the octopus points with all his tentacles in different directions and says in a very stupid voice, he went this way. Points at every direction, right? Yeah, points every direction, yeah. I, I know nothing about this octopus other than what I've seen in this, you know, the six seconds that he's on screen here. Yeah. Um, he feels problematic that's all i don't know i don't know why it just feels like i don't know there's something about him just doesn't feel right maybe he's just stylistically like of the time period where everything was problematic i don't i don't have any like reason why but something about him is just like something wrong with that octopus guy (laughs) yeah well i mean look at the cartoon he comes from so uh (laughs) But, you know, speaking of problematic, what does Donald call Daffy? There is a very specific moment where Donald gets mad at Daffy 
And I cannot make out what he says, but it does not sound good. Really? Like, does, Nitwit? Is going? Uh, begins with that letter. No. Yeah. We, no. Let me... Let me play this clip right now and see oh, my God. See your thoughts on this. Like, I'm like, wait, how could I have missed this? <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I, I looked it up and there's some people who clearly think he said that. And so people are like, no, he did de- definitely did not say it. Uh, I, I don't know what he said. I mean, Donald mumbles a lot. So I'm a weird person who watches everything with subtitles because mm-hmm. I don't know why, because I probably can't hear that well, <laughs> um, but it also just like helps me process stuff, I think. And the subtitles say nitwit. Okay. Okay. But it doesn't really sound like he says nitwit. No. But oh. it's Donald Duck also, and his words don't really sound like the words they're supposed to be pretty frequently, so... Like I, I, I'm Team Daffy all the way. I don't know. Like I think it's just Donald. I don't know. There's something about Donald that I don't. I'm not really a big fan of. <laughs> before, before this incident, or uh, or now? Oh, before, before this. Oh, okay. Yeah, before this incident. Um. Yeah. No. No. This thing might have like you know in my mind I'm like I think he said what you think he said. <laughs> uh, he's that <laughs> uh, he's, he's the kind of guy who would say that. Yeah, he's. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he does. He does kind of have like old white man energy. Well, yeah. I I will throw this out about Donald. Uh, so some Donald facts. He was uh, created in 1934 when Walt was figuring Mickey was becoming a little too pure to make him do mischievous things. So he wanted a new character Uh that could do this. Uh, So he was voiced originally by Clarence Nash, who uh, he voiced him all the way until the early 80s. I think the last one was Mickey's Christmas Carol. So this was the uh, first major time he was voiced by his new voice, Tony Anselmo. So, uh, you know, I don't know too much about Tony Anselmo, but this is this is basically a new person inhabiting Donald at this point. By the way, can I give you really quickly a little fun fact about Mickey and, and, and all those characters? Oh, please. Maybe you guys know this. I don't know. Uh, you know, I that, definitely like, don't. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> As I, uh, you know, the Mickey, uh, Mickey just came out with some shorts, uh, mm-hmm. uh, for Disney TV, and it's like the, the guy who's doing the voice for Mickey sounds exactly like Mickey, and you're like, oh, it sounds very wholesome and sweet. I did some research. The guy who does the voice of the new Mickey is uh, Tres Comas guy from Silicon Valley. The guy, no, who- really. Yeah, the dude, the douchebag. I forgot his name. Oh, um, Russ Hanneman. Russ, Russ Hanneman. Hanneman. Yes. <laughs> the doors that go like this instead of doors that go like that. God, he's yeah. just he's just great. Yeah, what a great character. As as somebody who works in Silicon Valley, yes, that is very true. <laughs> that show is a documentary. And now he shares something with Walt Disney. Yeah. Daffy says this is the last time he works with someone that has a speech impediment. Um, doesn't everybody Daffy works with have a speech impediment? I cannot think of one Looney Tunes character that does not have one. You know who has a speech impediment? That person looking at Daffy in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> that, yes. that angry duck in the mirror. <laughs> angry duck in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait a second. Oh my God, I just realized something. 
sorry, I just got like this moment of like, holy shit, we're seeing both Daffy's in that in the scene. The first one we see is the sarcastic bleak one. And then when later spoiler alert, when uh, the cannon comes out of the out of, out of the out of the piano, he goes back to his crazy way. Like yes. he's the same we guy. See the woohoo. Yeah, this is the exact midpoint between between yeah. old Daffy and new Daffy. He's been erased half the amount of times he's gonna been erased. Yeah. He is giving very much American psycho. Uh, you know, he's got the like sweaty hair. He's like sweeping back into his eyes. He's got like this very um, serial killer kind of oh, look yeah. in his eyes. Like, yeah, he he definitely changes. And we see a little bit of that from Donald too. Yeah, we do. We see a transition from happy Donald to angry Donald. And do you guys think that like... Um... That line, um, this is the last time I worked with someone with a speech impediment, was like, oh, we do this line every night. Or do you think that he went to the manager and was like, hey, listen, I just, I respect respect me for what I'm doing. I can't work. <laughs> do, you, like, do you think that it was like a meant? As a I, <laughs> I don't feel comfortable making any assumptions about the level of self-awareness of either of these tunes. This, <laughs> uh, this Clearly, I'm obsessed with like... <laughs> <laughs> We do have the penguins here. Uh, we have the penguin servers who appear in Mary Poppins, which does not come out until 17 years after this movie. The prevalent theory is that they worked in this bar and they were discovered here years later by the creator of Mary Poppins and put in that movie. Well, I mean, actors, waiters, mm-hmm. tales old as time. Right. It's uh, your- the, question, the question is, so they were discovered, right? Because when I think of Hollywood or think of Tinseltown, like I always think that like they started, they they came here for a dream. They realized the dream was hard. And then they were like, oh, let's go to this bar. Uh, no, that's not going to hire us. Well, let's go to this one that's on a fucking alleyway that is super sketchy. And then, I don't know. It's yeah. a really beautiful story. I, I really hope that actually, do you think that they wanted to be actors? Do you think it was more like a discovery thing? Well, we have talked about in like earlier episodes that so few of the tunes have jobs outside of show business. It's kind of nice to think that they just really wanted to be servers and work with people and they had never even thought of that before. I really hope that it was Dick Van Dyke who actually discovered him. Like Dick Van Dyke goes to those bars and he's like, you guys want to count? I'm looking at making this movie. It's based on this book that the author doesn't want to make, but like, you know, it's really fun and let's just do it and then they were like yeah what do we do we dance oh we did you dance and serve <laughs> okay yeah let's do it think that when dick van dyke was pitching it to them he demonstrated his accent one of the one of the penguins was like i'm not from london and i find this very offensive this is the most intense cockney accent i've ever heard in my life but i didn't say anything it was just like with his fan like uh, I don't want to be the party pooper again. I, I kind of think maybe Dick Van Dyke was shopping this around to other more established Animal Tune actors and they heard the accent and they were like, I can't be part of this. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, then they were like, well, there's always those penguins down at the club. Yeah, they'll be in anything. They're desperate. Yeah, he, he pitches first and then he goes, okay, so... Uh, yeah. This is like the deal breaker. Uh, so I play this British uh, chimney guy. <laughs> uh, and then he starts talking and it's like, mm. I, still, I, I, ha- I have like a Disney playlist that plays 
for my daughters uh like when we're just like they're just playing around it's just to have music and that song like uh a super color fragilistic Ocean comes up and every time i hear him like oh show up, show up. Yeah, she's like, i'm always like oh man Nick, Nick. it would make so much sense if his dialect coach was a tune <laughs> i think it was that octopus that feels like the right that octopus matches that accent it does, yeah. And his voice is very different within the cartoon, but I could see that that's his vo- version of an American accent. Like, <laughs> Question, which one is more offensive? Do you think the one that like Dick Van Dyke had or the one that Lin-Manuel did on the remake of Mary Poppins? Uh, oh, so terrible. It was very like, hello, um, hello Mary Poppins. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not British, but I, I bet some British people might be like, okay, let's keep, I understand. Like we, 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 you get, you can hire an American to play us, but like this is gone far. <laughs> you know, I love both Dick Van Dyke and Lin Manuel Miranda, but yeah. I feel those those accents were just horrific. At least Lin Manuel Miranda has like the cover story of, well, it's a remake, so I was just doing the Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> I you know, I've... just modernizing his version, not trying to be us. An authentic chimney sweep. Yeah, like it's like so. So it's like yeah. I I I didn't go to London. I don't care for British people. I just looked at Dick Van Dyke, and he was my doorway into London. I don't care for British people. <laughs> well, he doesn't. I mean, he has an entire musical uh, celebrating our breaking away from British people. Yeah. So. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, think, are we outing him right now? <laughs> <laughs> anti-uk i do do wonder if if the tune that taught the van dyke how to play a cockney accent is the same tune that taught like lady gaga to how to talk italian in house of gucci i think so i think think that lines up i think like like there's some um like producer somewhere in hollywood who just has like a series of beefs with various actors you know and is like that's it they're getting the tune coach (laughs) just assigns it (laughs) on different movies they're getting getting bonko all right bonko (laughs) bonko's just like it's like hey and he's like uh most important thing you want to do is say oi a lot just oi (laughs) that's it basically oh, nailing it yeah and, it, <laughs> and like you can pay you you pay bonco with like not money but just like you know like regular like like like, like dumbo he works for peanuts you know like <laughs> sorry we've like really like gone we in this minute when eddie makes it to the front of of the club and there's some gentleman in a very interesting suit who squirts him with ink Eddie is not happy about this. This is, it was like painful to watch, you know, like to rewatch, right? Like I did not notice how um, just off-putting Martin, Marvin Acme is. Like he is like, clearly has no place in a normal society no he he clearly does hang around tunes all the time and does not know how to deal with humans at this point he has this like childlike quality but in the creepiest way Mm. you know it's not a childlike sense of like wonder or like it's like 
even the way he moves, he's like, he's pretty, um, he's not sly or like smooth at all. It's he kind of stumbles through like squirting this pen, ink pen on uh, Eddie. It's very weird and it's disturbing. Yeah, it, it is very weird. Uh, Eddie just straight up threatens him. We end in the middle of the threat, but Eddie does seem like he's fully prepared to do this. Do you wonder if do you wonder if like Eddie was the one of the people that he like squirted ink with, or it just just felt so weird that it was just like straight to Eddie. Probably everyone who like passes by him, he does this to. But probably everybody else there really likes tunes. I mean, they're at a tune performance and they're like, "Oh, it's the tune guy." Probably happy that they're getting this kind of attention from him. Annie, uh, who is your MVP of this minute? So this minute, uh, my MVP is, it's very literal. It's the literal MVP. And it's going to be the octopus because he is doing the most work of anyone mm. yeah, easily. He He's making, uh, it It does in some ways, I didn't count, but it looks like he has more legs than eight instead of some of, some of the shots. And uh, he's making a drink with all of them. I don't know what he's standing on. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Very impressive. Uh, oh, my MVP? Uh, uh, it's tough, but I think you. I think I think it goes to look at that guy. You know, like that guy, the front of front. Like he's uh, he has so much story that I want to to focus on. Um, I think that's he's my MVP. It was hard because, like you know, we end the movie with like Marvin Acme. You're like, oh, who's this guy? Or, or, or we end that that minute with that guy, and you're like, mm, it was tough. But yeah, yeah. Thank you, Guillermo, for joining us. Please come back on Wednesday and talk a little bit more about these minutes with us. I would love to. I would love to. Oh, great. This has been Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. I want to thank Dueling Genre and Scott Corelli for hosting us. You can check out all their podcasts on DuelingGenre.com and support by clicking on the support link. And we will see you on Wednesday for Minute 17 of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. Bye.